0: Well, as we learned last night, just as a way of reminder, we have the power as the children of God to determine what kind of story we're going to live. We, we have the power to determine, is our story going to be a tragedy or a comedy, right? Is our, our story going to be a memorable story or a forgettable story? Um, will the story we write be epic or will it be short? Will the story that we write be eternal? Will there be any eternal takeaways from the life that we're living today? Will the moral of our story impact anybody's life at all? You know, as we're writing our stories with the greatest author of all time, we have to submit everything we are to him. We have to submit our outline to him, our plans, our heart to him, our opinions to him. That's the hard one, isn't it? To submit your opinions to the father. Um, We have to submit our endings to him, saying, Lord, I want my story to end the way you want it to end, so do a new work in me. You know, all stories have a main character, and as we learned last night, you better not be the main character of your own story you were never meant to be the main character. You were meant to play a supporting role in your own story. That the main character in your story was always meant to be Jesus, your Savior and your friend. So today, one of the things we're going to evaluate is who is the main character in your personal story? And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to just speak to you and talk to you about some shiftings and some rearrangings that need to happen in your life. Because you can either... Play a supporting role and let the Lord be the main character or you can grab all the attention for yourself and be the main character. But I wouldn't advise that because that is not a story of victory. So this morning, we're actually going to talk about one person in the Bible who lived a larger-than-life story and who learned through the seasons in his life, because it is a learning process. We are all on a learning curve. This particular man learned how to allow the Lord to be the main character in his story. This man learned through trial and error, which we all do, how to allow the Lord to write his story. His name is Moses. You might have heard of this guy before. Because other than the Lord, other than God, other than Jesus, his name is mentioned more in the Bible than any other person's name. Isn't that interesting? His name is mentioned in 784 verses in the Bible. It's Mentioned seven hundred and five times in the old testament, which is understandable because he's an old testament character. But did you know that his name is also mentioned seventy-nine times in In the New Testament. Now, that's what I call a life of impact. That's what I call a life of eternal significance. Um, So, Moses is the man that we are going to look at this morning. I'd say that this man, Moses, lived a great story in the opinion of heaven, so we can learn from his life. We can take instruction from his life, and we can be encouraged by his life. Let me tell you some of the things that Moses accomplished in his life. He was an emancipator, right? He was a lawgiver, he was a scholar, he was a statesman, he was a soldier, he was a shepherd, he was a son, he was a brother, he was a husband, he was a father, he was a songwriter. This man Moses, man, he got the job done during his moment in history. You know, in the New Testament, Moses was actually one of two men who was sent back down from heaven to meet Jesus on what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember that moment? That Moses was sent back down to have a conference with Jesus while Jesus was living on planet Earth. Moses wrote the first song recorded in scripture. And in Revelation, it tells us that the angels in heaven around the throne of God, they are still singing the song of Moses in the book of Revelation. The Holy Spirit was still using Moses' life and talking about him thousands of years after he lived. Now, that's a great story. That's a life of impact, and that's the kind of life I want to live. How about you? Now, when Moses was living his great story, he didn't know that it was going to be a great story. All he knew that he was dealing with the day-to-day-to-day of a very difficult life, of a very challenging existence. And I know that there were days when Moses woke up when he didn't like his life. That he wished he could have been anywhere else but where he was that day. And I know some of you feel that way. You might feel that way this morning. You might not like your life and you wish you had somebody else's life. But you're going to be encouraged by the story of Moses and how God wrote his story. Now, most of you know his story. But we're going to just look at a few of the background details. And we're going to end at the Red Sea great place to end by the way um, Moses was born at a horrible time in human history Pharaoh the the leader in Egypt wanted all of the baby boys killed because the population of the Israelites had grown so large that Pharaoh told the midwives to start killing every baby boy that was born first I'm going to read you um, Exodus 112 from the New American Standard Bible which is the Bible I use for teaching and And I'm going to read you the same verse from a literal Hebrew translation so that you can understand what was happening at this moment in history. Exodus 1, 12. But the more they afflicted the Israelites, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out so that the Egyptians were in dread of the sons of Israel. Isn't that interesting? The Egyptians, the ruling people, were in dread of the Israelites because they just kept, they were sort of like bunny rabbits. They just, they just kept multiplying. They, they just kept getting bigger and bigger. Now, from the literal translation, it says, Yet even as the Egyptians heaped hard labor upon the Israelites, the Israelites became more numerous still and broke through the limits imposed on them. And so the Egyptians came to have a sickening dread because of the presence of the sons of Israel. Do you see this? That Moses came from a lineage. He came from a genealogy that nothing was going to hold them back that even the edict of a cruel and evil ruler wasn't going to impact the story that they were writing. You see, Moses wasn't defined by his culture, by the persecution of the day, or the pain that was inflicted upon them. Moses was part of a people group who were overcomers, and I just say, so are you. So are you. My friends, there should be nothing this side of heaven that holds you back from being the woman that God has created you to be. There should be no circumstance, no event, no person that stifles the woman that you were called to be. If Moses did it, if the children of Israel did it at this horrible moment in history, so can you. Don't let your circumstances determine your story. Let your God determine your story. So Pharaoh... His solution to all of this, the evil Pharaoh, he brought all the midwives in, all the midwives who delivered all the little Jewish babies. And he said to them, this is what I want you to do. When you go to deliver a Jewish baby and it's a boy, I want you to kill him right there. I want you to kill that child. The little girls, you can let them live. But kill all the boys. Let me read it to you from Exodus chapter 1, verses 17 through 21. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but they let the little boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and let the boys live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. (laughs) So God was good. I'm so glad you laughed at that. So God was good to the midwives and the people multiplied and became very mighty because the midwives feared God he established households for them you know daughters of god you are not like the other women in the world today you are not like could i just say the egyptian women and 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 by that i mean people who don't know the lord you you're not like them You're not like them. You are stronger. You are more vigorous. You can take things that other women can't take because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So when you're going through a hard time, just say, I'm not like the world. I'm like those, those midwives. I'm like those Jewish women. I'm stronger. I am more vigorous. I can give birth to things that other people can't birth to because there's the calling and the protection of God on my life. Nothing's gonna stop me from giving birth to the things that I have been called to give birth to. You know, one reason that the Hebrew women were so strong in the natural is because they had had to bear up under the strain. Of slavery, of hard labor, and the Egyptian women were coddled; they led very easy lives. And so, the the Israel women, the the Jewish women, they were prepared to give birth out of the strength that had been developed in them. That's why, my sisters, when we go through a hard time, we don't dread it, but we allow that hard time to strengthen us, to go into the heart of us, so that we become strong. Because God is strengthening us, so we can give birth to things that we could never do on our own. Let let those things do a deep work in your life. Now let me read you verse 19, Exodus 119, from that very exact Hebrew translation. Thinking fast, the midwife said to Pharaoh, I love that. Thinking fast. Women were fast thinkers, aren't we? They said, Pharaoh, we couldn't help it. Because unlike Egyptian women, the Hebrew women are robust. Look at the girl beside you and say, You're robust. The Hebrew women are robust. In fact, before the midwife can get to them, they have already delivered their babies. You know, when you have endured suffering, when your spirit has been strengthened due to adverse and unwelcome conditions, you can give birth to plans and dreams and destiny that other people abort. You can do it. Because of the strength inside of you. It'll come forth quickly. It'll come forth strongly. And no one, not even the enemy, will be able to kill it. Because of the strength inside of you. Because of the work that God has done inside of you. So as you know, Moses was born. And his mother, Jochebed she kept him for about three months. And then, you know, he got a little bit noisy. And, and she couldn't hide him anymore. Um I, I like to imagine these things in Scripture. I just imagine that Moses was, was a noisy little boy. And and he just would cry and, and, and talk and giggle and chortle. And so she knew that she was going to be found out. And and she knew that if they discovered her baby, what was going to happen. So Jochebed weaved a little basket. She created a safe cocoon for him and lined it with pitch and with tar so that it would... Um, float on the Nile River and so that it wouldn't sink. And she put Moses, her little three month old boy, giggling away, reaching for his toes. She nursed him one last time and she put him in this little basket and put it on the river with the crocodiles. And she said, Lord, take care of my little. You know, I believe that Jochebed, as all moms know, knew that her boy was destined for greatness. Now, there was no way she could have known at this moment that he was going to set an entire nation free. She didn't know that, but she just knew when she looked at his little face and into his little eyes, she knew that there was the call of God on his life and that she had to save him For what God had called him to become. Now I'm gonna divert a little bit here, not rabbit trail, but divert a little bit to tell you a story. And when I first begin the story, you're not gonna know how it connects, but hang with me, because the story does connect. We're gonna travel in time to the year 1809, 1809. And in the happenings in the world, it was a year of great conflict. Everybody was focused on the battles that were being fought that year, the lives being lost and the blood being shed. Everybody was counting the casualties in the year 1809. Napoleon had much of Europe in an uproar. The climate in America was unstable. Um, We were still fighting with with Britain trying to figure out who we were and what kind of nation we were going to be. And nobody that year was thinking about babies. They were all thinking about blood and conflict and guts and casualties and wars and who's evil and who's good and who's gonna win. Yet in that one year, in the year 1809, let me tell you who was born that year. William Gladstone, who became one of England's greatest prime ministers, was born in the year 1809. Lord Alfred Tennyson, one of the world's greatest poets, was born in the year 1809. Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr., a poet and a physician, was born in the year 1809. Frederick Chopin and Felix Mendelssohn, two of the greatest composers who have ever lived, were born in the year 1809. So now I'm going to read you a quote by a Christian historian who commented on what was going on in the world in 1809? This is what Boreham said. Which of the battles of 1809 mattered more than the babies of 1809? When a wrong w- wants writing, or a work wants doing, or a truth wants preaching, or a continent wants opening, God sends a baby into the world to do it. That's why the birth of Moses mattered more than the edict of Pharaoh. Because God sent a person to get the job done. That's why, I'm going to talk to the moms for a minute. That's why how you raise your children matters more than what's happening with ISIS, than who the president is, than what the interest rate is at. What, how you raise your children matters more than any of that. You know, one of my role models walked into eternity this week. Her name was Barbara Bush, and this is what Barbara Bush said. Your success as a family, our success as a nation, depends not on what happens inside the White House, but on what happens inside your house. So how you raise your children matters. It matters to the plan of God. And young moms, as you're writing your story, as you're beginning to write your story— The most important part of your story is how you raise your children. So raise them for kingdom purposes. Don't back off. So Jochebed, Moses' mother, knew that the story of God is always a story of triumph and destiny for his people. Even though it begins little, babies are little. Even though it begins little, she knew that God was going to do something great. Jacobed knew what you and I know, what the Holy Spirit spoke in the New Testament. Jacobed knew thousands of years earlier. The greater is he who is in us than anything that's happening in the world today. Well, as you know, Moses was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter, and he was raised in the palace. And when he was 40 years old, you're sort of getting the Cliff Notes version of the story because I want to get to the Red Sea, okay? We're going to take a vacation at the Red Sea today. Um, When Moses was 40 years old, he killed a man and then spent 40 years in the wilderness. And this is what we learn from this section, these years of Moses' life. Raised in the palace, killed a man, 40 years in the wilderness. Doesn't sound like a bestseller to me, does it to you? But this is what we learn from Moses. The middle of your story is not the end of your story. Let me say that again. The middle of your story is not the end of your story. You know, we never have an end without a middle. But the middle is not the end. So do not mistakenly believe that the middle of your story is the end of your story because it's not. If the story of Moses had ended with a murder and 40 years in the wilderness, it wouldn't have been very inspiring, but that is not how the story of Moses ended. God is able to transform the middle of your story into a story of triumph if you will let him, if you will respond to him, if you will submit to his ways. Do you know what God does with ordinary men and women who have blown it? Who've spent too long in the wilderness, maybe the wilderness of depression, the wilderness of discouragement, the wilderness of debt, the wilderness of infertility, the wilderness of adultery. Do you know what God does with those people? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> what He does is He calls them by their name. Exodus 3, verses 1 through 4. You know, that's one of the happiest sounds in the world to a Bible teacher yeah. is the turning of Bible page, of your pages in your Bible. Exodus 3, 1 through 4. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And Moses looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. And when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. You know, it's often in the most uncomfortable circumstances of our life that God calls our name that he tries to get our attention. And so now this is scripted out for us in in this conversation with Moses and with God. So, So you don't have to wonder what to say. You don't have to wonder what your part is of the dialogue. When God calls you by your name, how you respond is by saying, here I am. That's your part of the script. Write it in your dialogue. When God calls you, there is no other response but, God, here I am. Here I am, God. Here I am. Let's read verse 5, Exodus 3, 5. And then God said, don't come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And this is what I want to tell you is that God wants to touch the middle of your story with his holiness. He wants to touch your wilderness with his holiness. He wants to touch your failings with his holiness. He wants you to bring, he wants to bring you into his presence and rewrite the rest of of the story. You know, in Moses' life, this was a holy moment. This was a sacred day. This was the moment in the story when everything was gonna turn around. It was a holy moment, a sacred day. And as I was praying about this morning's teaching, I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, Carol, tell the women that this is their holy moment. This is their sacred day. This is their burning bush moment when I'm speaking to the middle of their story and I'm saying, I'm going to turn it around for you the pain of your past is no longer going to define you. You're about to get out of the wilderness. Leave your mistakes and your failures behind. Do not ever allow your mistakes and your failures to write the end of the story, but listen for the voice of God. Respond, here am I. Stay in the sacred holy moment and see what God will do with your story. You know, my friends there is a world in slavery in fear in discouragement and depression who needs an ordinary woman to walk in her destiny who needs to leave the pain of her past behind who who needs to allow a woman like you and me to get out of the wilderness so we can be used by God. And this is your day. This is your day to walk away from the wilderness and into your destiny and to lead the people in your world to freedom. This is your day. So stop looking behind you. Stop reminding God of all your mistakes. You don't need to remind him. Move ahead in the plans and purposes of God for your life. And this is what God said to Moses in Exodus 3.6. And God said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. You know, I think in this moment, God was reminding Moses who he was. And that's what God wants to do with you today. God wants to remind you who you are. And and so what God did with Moses in this moment, he said, God, Moses, um, God said, Moses, let me remind you of your genealogy. Let me remind you of the stock from which you come. And when we see these names, um, when we see Abraham and Jacob and Isaac, we, we think superstars. We think, biblical hall of fame we think home run hitters we think national champions don't don't you think that when you see those names but if we were to dig a little bit deeper I wonder if God was saying to Moses Moses Abraham lied Jacob was a cheat Isaac was a mama's boy and if I use them I can certainly use you And that's what God is reminding you today. No matter what you've done, no matter how you've blown it, no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter how many years you've spent in the wilderness of life, today is your day. God is calling you by name to lead you out of the wilderness because he needs a woman just like you to make an impact on the world in which you live. God was saying, Moses, are you ready for a rewrite? Are you ready to take your eraser and and just erase some of the chapters you've written? You know, God has an eraser, and he loves to erase all the mistakes that we've made from the story that we're writing. He loves to erase them and stamp forgiven on those pages. Mercy compassion, justification. No matter what you've done in your life, there is nothing the, the eraser of God cannot and will not remove. And so women today, one of the things I wanted to tell you is believe what God says about you, not what your past says about you. God has an opinion of you and it's good. God loves you so much. And when you remind him of your past, he says, what are you talking about? I don't remember that. It's under the blood, which is the eraser that God uses. So in this moment, you know, God said to Moses, hey, hey, Mo, I'm going to use you to set my people free. And Moses said, are you sure? Am I really the one? Have you tried that? You know, it didn't work for Moses, and it's not going to work for you either. (laughs) If there's an assignment on your life, I wouldn't be arguing with God over it if I were you. And so God said, yep, Mo, you are the one. And Mo, and Moses said, I just don't think I can do it. And God said, okay, okay. Well, then I'll let Aaron come with you. Uh, you know, I'll give you somebody to sort of prop you up, Mo, if that's what you need. And so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh. And, of course, you know, Pharaoh said, nope the israelites are not going there stay in here they're working for me the rest of their lives and so god sent the 10 plagues of on pharaoh and on egypt that didn't touch god's people and finally when pharaoh had had enough he said to, to moses and aaron get out of dodge leave i'm done just i'm done just go go leave me and so moses and aaron led 600,000 men plus women and children out of Egypt. It was a miracle of epic proportions. History to this point had never seen anything like it. When God used an ordinary man whose past was full of mistakes, he shouldn't have been alive anyway, but all he did was say, here am I, Lord, and God said, good, I'm going to use you. God is waiting for a woman in this generation to leave her past behind to say, Here am I, God. Use me. No telling what the 300-plus women in this room could do by saying, Here am I, God. I, you know, i like to picture what's going on in the heavenlies when this moment happened. I think the angels were all a Twitter. I think they were just in an uproar. Can, can you see that? Can you believe it? Like God has done great things before, but can you even believe this is a genius day for God? God is helping Moses lead the people out of slavery. The plagues that had decimated Egypt hadn't touched the people of God. And God was now leading. The people by a pillar of fire by night night, and a pillar of cloud by day. God is a genius. He was at the top of his game this day. And he's at the top of his game today. And he's able to do in your life and do for you just what he did for Moses and the children of Israel. Let's, Let's jump ahead in the story and we're going to go take a vacation, get out your beach chairs, get out your sunscreen, because we're about to linger by the shores of the Red Sea with Moses and the children of Israel. I love the beach, do y'all love the beach? I love the beach. Let's go to the beach together. Winter's been too long, we're going to the beach. Exodus 14, verses one and two. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before Pi Herahoth, between Migdal and the sea, and you shall camp in front of Baal Zephon, opposite it by the sea. You know, apparently, God's idea of a vacation by the sea is different than my idea of a vacation by the sea. Um, But I want to point out to you in this verse that God led the people of Israel to the spot on purpose and for a plan. There was no mistake that found the children of Israel by the Red Sea this day. Now, they didn't know what the reason was. All they knew is that God had led them there. And I want to talk to some of you today who are in a very difficult place. I want, to re- I want you to realize that the Lord either placed you there or allowed you to be there for reasons perhaps known only to himself at this moment but God doesn't make mistakes and you are not by the Red Sea by mistake I can tell you this when God strategically leads his children to a place it's for one of two reasons so they'll trust him and so that he'll be glorified those are the only two reasons why the Lord would lead his children to the Red Sea so that it would lead us to a greater level of trust, and so that he would be glorified today. And so for those of you who are standing by the Red Sea today, let me encourage you this day, April the 21st, 2018, at your Red Sea moment, be more concerned for God's glory than for your comfort. Say, This is a day when I, this is a place where I'm going to trust God and where I'm going to be a receptacle of the glory of God. The next time you're overwhelmed, my friends, how many of you have ever experienced that emotion, being overwhelmed? Now, y'all, come on. Some of you need to raise both hands and both feet. But I have the script for you. Next time you're overwhelmed, instead of asking how can I get out of this mess? Instead, this is your narrative. This is your dialogue. How can God be glorified through me in this situation? How can I bring glory to his name at this Red Sea? It's, it's not the vacation rental that I thought it was going to be. But how can God be glorified through me in this situation? So now, the children of Israel are at the Red Sea waiting for God's next direction, waiting for God's next leading, when Pharaoh realizes what he's done. He's a low-down, dirty dog of a leader. And, and he realizes, what have I done? I have lost my workforce. I have lost all my slaves. So he changed his mind. And, and he, he talked to his best fighting bata- battalions. He said, let's go get him. Let's chase after him. Let's go bring the children of Israel back to Egypt. And so here the children of Israel are at the edge of the Red Sea with Pharaoh thundering behind them in, in his chariots with, with fighting steeds and battalion, the, fi- the finest fighting forces of the day. And I wonder what the children of Israel are feeling. I know because I've been in that place before. I know what it's like to be at the edge of the Red Sea and he, hear Pharaoh coming, hear hear the enemy coming behind me. You know, I, I wonder if the children of Israel are saying, okay, okay God, what, what are you going to do now? God, are you on this? God, do you know what kind of catastrophe this could turn into? But I want to sort of turn the tables on you this morning. Instead of panicking, how about looking at the person beside you and say, What a great place to be. What an exciting moment in my life. I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. The sky is not falling, Chicken Little. God is still on the throne. And there is no reason for a child of God to panic, even when the Red Sea is in front of them and the enemy is coming at them from behind. Exodus 14, 9 through 12. Then the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them camping by the sea. See, I told you they were having a vacation at the sea. There was no holiday inn, so they were camping at the sea beside Pi. Hereroth in front of Baal Zephan. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they became very frightened, so the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt, Mo, that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness you know when I read this I am outraged at the children of Israel are you kidding me do you not have a dream in your soul do you not have one positive word to say but then I realize this is a picture of me and you that we would rather stay in bondage than be led to the edge of a miracle We'd rather stay in the same old, same old, same old. Nothing happened. Everything's good. Don't, don't upset the apple cart. Then be led into the plans and the purposes of God for our lives. So this is where the story gets good. Let me tell you what the people of God saw at this moment. Because the people of God were walking by sight and not by faith at this moment in their story, what they saw was this. In the rearview mirror, they saw angry fighting soldiers, thousands of them coming at them from every direction behind them. They saw them coming with the most modern fighting weapons of the time, ready to destroy the entire nation of Israel. They were furious. They were fast. They were relentless, and they were angry. And to the north, there was a three-story Egyptian military fort that the remains of it still stand today. So behind them is the enemy. To the north, is an Egyptian army fort. To the south was a rugged, uncrossable mountain range. No way they could get over it. And in front of them was the Red Sea. It was impossible. There was no way out for the people of God. The Red Sea was 1,200 miles long and 190 miles wide. In some places, it was two miles deep, two miles deep. The Red Sea stretched width from Buffalo past Cleveland, and the length of it stretched from Buffalo to the Oklahoma-Texas border. That was the Red Sea. It wasn't Darien Lake, if you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Do you think you could swim across that Red Sea with an infant on your back and an elderly woman hanging onto your hand? There was no way. There was no way. Some of you see yourselves in this story. You've tried to serve God. You've done your best to honor him. You've even seen miracles, but now your circumstances are chasing you down, and there's no way to go. You can't go right. You can't go left. You can't retrace your steps, and you certainly can't go forward. And in this moment, you're afraid. You're blaming God. That's what the children of Israel are doing. They were blaming God. You wish you could travel back in time to when life was easier. Is anybody in that place today? Listen, we're going to learn some powerful lessons from the story of Moses and the children of Israel at the Red Sea. But I can tell you this. When you can't press forward, when you can't move sideward or step this way, and when you certainly can't go back, do you know what you do? You look up. That's what you do. You look up to the power and to the promises of the Lord. Let me read to you verse 10 in this chapter, Exodus 14, 10. And as Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened And this was the one good thing they did. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Listen, the Red Sea offers you not an opportunity to put sunscreen on, but the Red Sea offers you an opportunity to cry out to the Lord. There are moments in life when we have to raise our voices and cry out to the Lord with everything that's within us. And the Red Sea moment was one of those moments for, this pers- for these people. You know, let me tell you something. The Red Sea offers you the opportunity to panic or pray. But I can't write your story. Only you can decide what the Red Sea chapter of your life is going to look like. Will you panic or will you pray? It's up to you. Um, You will learn, I can tell you this from personal experience, you will learn more wonderful and undeniably splendid lessons at the Red Sea than you will any other place in life. There's nothing like the Red Sea. If you find yourself in that spot today, and I know personally that some of you are in that spot today, remember you're not forgotten No matter what you see to your right or to your left or in front of you or behind you, you are not forgotten. God knows right where you are. He might have led you there by his hand. And he's going to keep you there under his protection and under his care. And I just want to tell you, all evidence to the contrary, there's no better place to be than to be where God has led you and to be under his protection and his care. Exodus 14, verse 13. But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians, whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. You will never see them again forever you know, when I was diagnosed with cancer almost four years ago, now I can't believe it, but I cried out to God at my Red Sea moment. I cried out to God. My cries echoed off the walls of my little 10 by 10 office. I cried out to God and I said, God, give me a scripture. If you give me a word, I will be okay. And the Lord gave me um, a scripture Nahum one sixteen, and it says and the wicked one will never pass your way again and that was my fighting scripture and I want to tell you that today for some of you Exodus 14 13 is your fighting scripture the Egyptians whom you have seen today you're never going to see them again forever this is a one-time battle go through it but it's not going to happen again But fight with that verse. Declare that verse. The same God who was with the children of Israel at the banks of the Red Sea is with you today at your Red Sea moment. And, you know, Moses said to them, don't be afraid. Wow. If we could just learn that, right? If we could just learn the mature lesson of not choosing fear, when we're at the edge of the Red Sea. You know, let me tell you what's really happening at Red Sea moments in life. At Red Sea moments in life, you're being offered two invitations. One is being handed to you by God the Father, and one is being handed to you by the enemy that's storming towards you. And God's invitation says, you are cordially invited to trust me. RSVP, God. The enemy is handing you an invitation, and it might look beautiful, but don't be fooled. Because the enemy's invitation says you are cordially invited to fear, to be afraid, to stay in a place of worry. RSVP, the enemy. Today, some of you are being handed that invitation both invitations, and you have to decide, what will I do at the Red Sea? I can't write your story. You are the one who determines what you will do on the banks of the Red Sea. You know, I heard a story years ago about um, a FedEx guy who came, now I'm just gonna give you a spoiler, it's a pretend story, okay? (laughs) A FedEx guy came to a person's door, and he said, I have a special delivery for you. And the person who answered the door said, oh, great. I love special deliveries. Like somebody was thinking about me. I get to sign for it. And the delivery man said, that's right, you do. You get to sign your name to receive this package. And the owner of the home said, well, he's getting out his pen and the and the little form is being handed to him as he raises his pen in the air he said to the delivery man what's in the package and the delivery man said oh i can tell you it is a box full of poisonous snakes and when you open the box you're going to immediately be bitten and possibly die and and the receiver the man who owned the home took a step back and he said why would i sign for that why why would I receive that? Okay. Do, do you know the moral of the story? Why would you sign your name to worry and fear? Why would you sign your name to anxiety at the Red Sea knowing what was going to happen? You know, worry and fear and anxiety, all they're going to do is paralyze you. But faith, responding in trust, RSVPing to God, it's going to make a way where there seems to be no way. God is going to move nature on your behalf if you say, I'll respond to trust. I receive the invitation to trust the Lord. And if you rip up that invitation to fear, if you refuse to sign for the box of snakes, keep moving forward. Don't give in to worry and fear. It's not an option for a child of God. I read this great. Quote. while well, I was preparing for this teaching, and I'm so glad I'm going to tell you it's a quote because you can't get mad at me, okay? It was written in a devotional book that was written about 150 years ago, and the author said this, I don't care what the circumstances are. The Christian should never be agitated, worried, beside herself, or at her wit's end. It implies a lack of trust and confidence in the God who is always good, always powerful, and loves you like no other. You know, in life, there will always be reasons to be afraid, but there will always be better, more eternal reasons to remain confident. Always, always. And then after Moses told him, don't be afraid, he told him, stand by and see. He, he was saying, guys, let's watch. God is up to something. God led us here. Let's hang out together and let's see what God's going to do next you know there are Red Sea moments in life when actually you don't need to take things into your own hands as extraordinary as breathtaking as it may seem I've had to learn the hard way that God actually doesn't need me to tell him what to do (laughs) that I don't have a better idea than God And that's what was happening at this moment on the shores of the Red Sea. Moses is saying, guys, let's not be afraid. Let's not panic. Let's not worry. Let's just stand by and see what our God is going to do next. Listen, when you're at a Red Sea moment in life, you can't swim across it. You can't drain it, and you can't turn back into the arms of the enemy. You have to stand by and see what the Lord will do. You know what that's called? Waiting. And we don't like to wait, do we? It's called waiting on the Lord. Psalm 37 verses 7 through 8 say this. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Well, I know that some of you are at a stand and see moment in life right now. And and I'm just here to tell you today, there's nothing you can do accept RSVP to God and say, I'll trust you, and to keep your eyes focused on Jesus. You know, at this moment in history, and this happened to real people, it happened to moms with babies and pregnant women and old people. They were there. This is a moment in history. And what they had to do in that moment is discover the miraculous way of living, of walking by faith and not by sight. And let me tell you, sisters, you haven't lived until you've discovered the principle of walking by faith and not by sight. If all you're doing is walking by sight, you're going to live a boring, worrisome existence. But if you can decide, like Christy's little story about septic tanks, to walk by faith rather than sight, The whole world is opened up to you. Certainly, the Red Sea will be opened up for you remind yourself at your Red Sea moments that God's got this and he's got you. He's not surprised by your Red Sea. He's not surprised by the enemy chasing you down. He's not surprised by the mountain range and he's not surprised by the army fort that's standing to your left. He may have put you there just so that he could get your attention long enough to hand you the invitation to trust him. You've been so distracted by pleasures and by delights and by the things that you think are important God may have invited you to this moment so he could get your eyes on him. At the Red Sea, God placed his people in a position where his presence had never been so necessary to them. Using difficulty, he cultivated within them a greater appreciation for his power. You know, the Lord's presence is never so sweet as it is in moments of appalling difficulty. Now, let me tell you something. I don't believe that God causes bad things. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. You know, when, when I was diagnosed with cancer, I just decided to go ahead ahead of time and forgive everybody for everything they were potentially going to say to me. And, and one very sweet, well-meaning woman who's not here, okay, y'all, she's not here, said to me, Carol, I'm so sorry that cancer is God's will for your life. What? Do we read the same Bible? Do we serve the same God? Listen, God doesn't send bad things, but we live in a fallen world. And there are moments in life when we're caught in the crossfire. And what God's given us for those moments are his presence, his promises, and his power. That's what he's given us for those Red Sea moments in life when we are caught between the devil and the deep Red Sea. What he's given us is his presence, his power, and it's his promises. It really is true. We can fear no evil, for he is with us. It's true. Verse 14, let me read it to you. What the Lord said, what Moses, what the Lord said through Moses. Moses said, The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Moses said, Yeah, women can laugh at that because we know how hard that is. (laughs) Moses said, If there's any fighting to be done, you're not going to do it. God's going to do it. You know what Moses said? He said, Zip it, whine it, uh, stop it, stop whining, don't complain. Don't worry out loud, just stop it. Stop worrying on Facebook. Stop whining on Facebook. Are you kidding? We live at a moment in history where God has given us a platform. That we can reach hundreds of people every single day to encourage them, to give them faith, to give them hope, to give them joy, to tell them the story of Jesus. And you're talking about your dog pooping? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Do you want to write a great story or not? Quit whining, quit complaining, quit talking about the girl at work and your boss and your husband. Start telling the story of Jesus while we have this platform because it might not last very long. Use this moment. You know, I remember back in the 80s or 90s it was when when all of a sudden Russia was open to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I remember a missionary came to our church and he said, the window's going to be off and open a very short while, so while it is open, we've got to get in. We've got to go in during this open moment. We don't know how long the window of social media is going to be open to ordinary people like us. Come on. Tell the story of Jesus. Encourage people. Give them hope. Give them joy. It's why you're alive today. So, God may have put you here just to get you to trust him. You know, I think, unfortunately, that that many of us as believers in Jesus Christ, because we're real women with real lives and real pain, we have turned our prayer lives into pity parties. And that's what your, your prayer life was never meant to be a pity party. Now, you can come to God. You can tell him what's going on in your life, but pray from a position of power, not from a position of defeat. Say, God, I know you're well able to heal me from this cancer that's invaded my body. Lord, I don't like it, but I stand here to glorify you today, and I pray that you'll use me in every doctor's office, in every operating room, in every testing facility to tell the story of Jesus, and Father, I pray that you heal me in Jesus' name. That's how a believer prays. When we're praying for our kids, Father God, you know that there's that one in our family who's turned his back on you. And Father, this is breaking this mama's heart, but Father, I believe you love him more than I love him. So Father, will you go after him? Will you chase him down with the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, be relentless and go after this one. As women of God, when we're at the Red Sea moment, we pray from a position of power. We don't worry. We don't whine. We don't complain. We respond with trust. Faith will lead you where sight cannot take you. Verse 15. And then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Listen, it's time for some of you to move today. To some of you today, God is saying move. It's time for you to go forward. You don't need to stand still any longer. Don't let your circumstances paralyze you. Start moving. Go ahead. Do the next right thing. I don't know what the next right thing is for you. It might be a little sticky. It might be a big step, but start moving, girls. Don't stay trapped between the enemy and the deep red sea. Today is your day to start going ahead. You do your part and let God do his part. Your part is to lift up the staff of your faith, to celebrate the goodness of God, even when you're between the devil and the deep red sea. Listen, one of the things I wanted to tell you today is at the end of the story, I'm going to give you a spoiler because I've read the end of it. You know, (laughs) Moses and the millions of people break out into song, which is great. I'm so glad they did. I'm so glad they worshiped the Lord when it was all over. But listen, you know what I dare you to do? I dare you to celebrate before the Red Sea parts on your behalf. I dare you to sing on this side of the Red Sea. I dare you to declare the goodness of God when nothing has changed in your circumstances. One thing I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me to tell you was this, you party and it'll part. You party and it'll part. You start singing and God will make a way where there seems to be no way. You know, often in our humanity, we're more afraid, aware of the devil and the deep red sea than we are of the power of God. And God has called you at this moment in your life to affirm the power, the presence, and the promises of God. Psalm 139, verses 5 and 6 say this, You have hedged me behind and before. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. You know, when when in the natural the Red Sea was behind them and the in front of them and the enemy was behind them. No, 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 no. For people who walk by faith, God was in front of them and God was behind them. Yeah. We are a faith-walking people. Philippians 4 says, the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Hebrews 13:5 says, "I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you, even when you're between the devil and the deep red sea." Psalm 78:13 says he divided the sea and caused them to pass through, and he made the waters stand up in a heap. The God of Moses is the God of you. The God of Moses at his worst moment is the God of you at your worst moment. You know, let me tell you this one thing I wanted to tell you this morning is that you don't have to feel the presence of God to know that he's there. You don't have to feel the presence of God to know. To know that he's with you. That he's promised never to leave you. However, I do want to just coach you a little bit on how you can access his presence because so many of us as believers go through life and we're so aware of the devil and the deep red sea that we never access who he is on our behalf and so I just want to tell you two short things this morning and I say it all the time to people being a Christian is not rocket science so when I tell you these two things you're going to say is that all she's got like she studied months for that (laughs) yeah I did actually How do you access the presence of God? Through worship. Because the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. So if you don't feel God, open your mouth and sing. Remember, your story is a musical. Remember open your mouth and sing that accesses the presence of god the second way is through prayer this is what deuteronomy 4 7 tells us what other nation is so great as to have their gods hear them the way no near them the way the lord our god is near us whenever we pray to him oh doesn't that just go to the heart of you doesn't that just go straight into the innermost parts of you Who else has a God like our God that he's near to us when we pray to him? Verses 21 and 22. It's going to be good. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land so the waters Were divided. And the sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on the right hand and on the left. Did you know that we serve a God who can make a way where there seems to be no way? When we say no way, God says way. When we say it's impossible, God says possible. When we say difficult, God says miracle. When God's people pass through the floodwaters of life, did you hear what Amanda said? God's been with her through the floodwaters of life. Isaiah 43,2, it's Amanda's verse. She didn't know I was going to share it. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. It's a promise of God. And at a Red Sea moment, we're more aware of the presence and the power and the promises of God than we are of the enemy and the deep Red Sea. So, in closing, why did God allow this? Why did God even orchestrate this? You know, it wasn't for entertainment value or so that someday Hollywood could make a great movie about it. That's not why God did it. He allowed it, even orchestrated it, so that the women of the 21st century would come to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that our God is able, that we serve a God, that nothing is too difficult for him. God proved once and for all in history-making and earth-shaking fashion that when we're most distressed, when we're most anxious, when we're most discouraged, when we're most overwhelmed, that you serve a God who will make a way where there seems to be no way because the God of Moses is the God of you. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he's your God. You know that the honor of God rose up in liquid walls as the Israelites were walking through. You know, I, I can imagine because I have girlfriends. I can imagine what we'd be saying to each other. "Lisa, did you see that? No, don't look, Just keep going. Lisa, don't look. Come on, Lisa, get away from that shark. Come on. I, I can see him too. But let's just keep walking. Just keep walking! Just keep walking. I-, I wonder what was happening in the heavenlies at this moment. I wonder if Gabriel was going, God, you've done good things before, but this is pretty good. <laughs> I-, I-, I wonder if-, if Michael was looking up the sleeve of God saying, you got any other miracles up there, God? <laughs> I wonder if the angels were standing at attention with their backs against the walls of the Red Sea, holding it back so the people of God could pass through. The exploits of God became the theme of the stories of the people of God for generations because of this one Red Sea moment. Your Red Sea moment might not be about you, but it might be about the theme of your story so you can tell it for generations to come. Exodus 14, 28 through 31. This is it. Amen. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them, not even one of them remained. But the sons of Israel, God's people, God's children, well, they, they skipped on dry land through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And now if you believe in writing in your Bibles, which I do, I want you to look at Exodus 1430, and I want you to put your name where it says Israel. Thus the Lord saved Lisa, Diane, Christy, Susie, that day from the hand of the enemy. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Talk about a gruesome family vacation. <laughs> the Israelites look back. And they saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So, can you even imagine just minutes ago, their their blood pressure was out of control, they were sweating, their knees were knocking, they they were so afraid God, what's going to happen? Do you know where we are? And just an instant later, here they stand, all of them. Not one was lost, safe on the other side of the Red Sea. The water was back to normal, and Pharaoh and all of his warriors were dead. They were gone. They had been drowned. And the waves began to wash up on shore and I can picture the children of Israel in their little people groups in their little family groups holding on to their children while tears are rolling down their faces and they're counting them. Do, do I have them all? Is, is everybody here? You know, go check on the Kellers. Make sure the Kellers made it. Go, go check on the McNerneys. Make sure the McNerneys made it through too. And they're standing there on the edge of the Red Sea when a body comes up on the shore. And then then the wheel of a chariot. And then the body of a horse. I imagine that there was a hushed silence. I I imagine that some people were like (sighs) gut heave sobbing as they saw it unfold in front of their eyes. I wonder if mothers just sank to their knees holding their children around them. And then from the back of the crowd, a song. Somebody started to sing. And millions of people began to sing the song of God. Let me tell you what they sang, Exodus 15:1. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I'll sing to the Lord, for he's highly exalted. The horse and his rider, he's hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he's become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Sisters, I dare you to sing that song before the Red Sea parts. I dare you. You know, I can't choose for you. Whether you sing alas or hallelujah is up to you. I can't choose for you. It's in the hardest and most disturbing moments of life that we're writing our finest story, that we're writing our masterpiece. So the next time you find yourself between the enemy and the deep red sea, between impossibilities and the enemy, remember the promises of God. Remember that he's promised never to leave you or forsake you. And let that be the theme of your story. You know, we never encounter any situation in life in which God has not provided for us a precious promise to get us through it. Remind yourself when you're in that place that the God who was with the children of Israel is the same God who's with you. Worship the Lord in the middle of trauma. Pray from a place of faith. The stories that have the greatest impact on the world are the ones that are hardful, painful, gritty, and real these are the Red Sea moments in life. There are times when you will find yourself in a place that you would not have chosen. It's in that hard, painful, gritty, real place in life where you will either receive the invitation to trust or the invitation to worry. It's where you will either receive the poisonous snakes into your home or say, no way. Um, it is where you'll choose to worship or where you will choose to whine. It's where you will experience the miracles of God in in ways that you never have before. Matthew Henry, the great theologian, writing about this story is what he said. This was done, talking about the Red Sea, and recorded in order to encourage God's people in all ages to trust him in the most desperate of straits." So this story was meant to encourage you. It was meant to encourage those of you who are at a Red Sea moment in life. You have to decide, will I focus on the Red Sea or will I focus on him? Will I focus on the enemy or will I focus on Jesus? Will I focus on the impossibilities or on the miracles? You know, the psalmist said, call upon me in day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Amen. 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 Let's pray.